Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. I have a question for you. How do you respond to warnings? Uh, For example, when it's uh, two days past the expiration date on a gallon of milk, there's some of you who uh, just throw it out immediately. There's some of you who might open the lid, take a sniff. Some of you wouldn't even bother with that. Some of you just pour a big old glass, right? Uh, Let's say uh, you see the check engine light come on in your car. Some of you would go take it, get checked out, right, immediately, right? Others of you would just keep driving a little bit. I don't smell any smoke. I'm sure it's fine. (laughs) Uh, Let's say the stoplight turns yellow. Some of you slow down. On the one hand, we have a little bit of difficulty in the Proctor household. It's a little bit confusing because we're trying to teach Judah that yellow means slow down. But daddy always hits the gas when it turns yellow. What's with that? And we could go on and on. How do you respond to warnings? We could get a, a little more sensitive here. Warnings about social distancing, wearing masks. Some of you are very diligent at these things and others. Uh, maybe I won't go there. <laughs> How do you respond to warnings? Because Jonah chapter 3 has a warning for us today. And up to this point in Jonah chapters 1 and 2, we've seen God show up to Jonah and say, go. And Jonah says, no. And then God makes the wind blow. And the sailors try to row. But then the sailors have to throw. And then this fish comes. And the fish says, yo. And Jonah says, no. (laughs) Oh, And and here we are in chapter 3, we see our half-hearted, double-minded, freshly burped-up prophet. He is dazed and confused with the smell of three-day-old fish lingering in his nostrils, and all of a sudden, the voice of God ringing in his ears. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, this is what happens. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So God's like, all right, buddy, (laughs) let's try this again. And what happens this time? Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. He gets it right this time. Now, this is no small thing. Nineveh was 500 miles away from Jerusalem. This is a month-long journey to the most dangerous city on earth. Now, if I was Jonah, I would be scared. Because this is like a Jew standing up in Berlin in the middle of World War II and denouncing the Nazi regime. I would be scared if I was Jonah. And I would also probably be a little bit mad. I'd be mad that I have to do this, mad that I'm probably going to get impaled on a stake for doing this, mad that God might possibly have mercy on these horrible people. And so when Jonah finally does stand up to preach, it's not out of love. I can tell you that much. And I wonder sometimes if we look at the world, if we look at lost people through a lens of fear or a lens of anger rather than a lens of love. The great spiritual writer Eugene Peterson tells a story about an evangelistic run-in he had with a bully in elementary school. Eugene Peterson was in third grade. Garrison Johns was a year older. I'll let Eugene Peterson take it from here. He says it like this. About the third day in school, Garrison discovered me. I'd been taught in Sunday school not to fight, and so I'd never learned how to use my fists. I'd been prepared for the wider world of neighborhood and school by memorizing. 
Bless those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. I don't know how Garrison Johns knew that about me. Some sixth sense bullies have, I suppose. But most afternoons after school, he would catch me and beat me up. I tried finding alternative ways home by making detours through alleys, but he stalked me and always found me out. I arrived home most days bruised and humiliated. My mother told me this had always been the way of Christians in the world and that I'd better get used to it. She also said I was supposed to pray for him. Then one day, something unexpected happened. I was with my neighborhood friends, seven or eight of them, when Garrison caught up with us and started in on me, jabbing and taunting, working himself up to the main event. That's when it happened. Something snapped. For just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness, and I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise, and his, I realized I was stronger than he. I wrestled him to the ground and sat on his chest, pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. I couldn't believe it. He was helpless under me, at my mercy. It was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. It felt good, and I hit him again. Blood spurted from his nose, a lovely crimson on the snow. By this time, all the other children were cheering, egging me on. Black his eyes, bust his teeth. I said to Garrison, say uncle. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again, more blood, more cheering. Then my Christian training reasserted itself. I said, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. <laughs> and he said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. <laughs> now, this is the tone that I imagine Jonah preaching with here in verses 3 and 4. It says this, Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And that's it. <laughs> that's the whole sermon. Uh, needless to say, in preaching class, we never studied Jonah as an example of how to preach. Now, you have heard some clunkers from me and Steve, mostly from Steve, of course. But this, this is the worst sermon of all time. There's no Bible. There's no funny stories. There's no relevant application. He doesn't mention God. He doesn't mention their sin. He doesn't tell them what to do. In Hebrew, this whole sermon is only five words long. But look what happens. Verses five through nine. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, sackcloth is this rough, uncomfortable material. It's kind of like burlap, and they wore it as a sign of their repentance, basically saying, hey, we're not comfortable in our sin anymore. We want to change. Going on, it says, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. What? A five-word sermon, and the whole city repents. Now, my average sermon has about 3,500 words in it. 
But I promise you this. Steve and I will start preaching five-word sermons if you all promise to start responding like this. I am serious. We will. (laughs) Jonah just says, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, when Jonah preached that, what he meant was, 40 more days, and you're all going to be destroyed. But actually, this word overthrown here, it's the word hapak, and it can actually have another meaning. It can mean destroyed, like Jonah used it, but it can also mean overturned, like flipped on its head. And ironically, what Jonah preaches comes true. The whole city is flipped on its head in repentance. Now, Some scholars speculate here that maybe the tale of Jonah's survival of the fish had preceded him. Maybe even his skin had been bleached from the gastric juices of the fish's belly, and that gave some divine credibility to his message. Historians also tell us that around this time, Assyria had been through a series of catastrophic events, plagues and famines and revolts and eclipses. These are bad omens, so these people are already on edge So little did Jonah know, but God had made sure that these people were already primed and ready to repent. And so they respond, not because of Jonah's words, but because of God's work. Listen, the will of God will never lead you where the power of God cannot use you. Hence the title of this sermon, Running Behind God, because God has already been in Nineveh ahead of Jonah getting these people ready. And the same is true for us. Listen, you will never talk to someone in whom God has not already been at work. You will never go somewhere that God has not already been. We're calling this series through the book of Jonah a clearer vision of God's heart. And I think we learn two key truths about the heart of God here in chapter three that'll serve as a warning for us today. And the first truth is this, God judges sin. God judges sin. The king of Nineveh here declares radical repentance on a national scale because he believes in the impending judgment of God. So, do you? Because the fact of the matter is, there will come a day where every one of us will be judged. Jesus says in John chapter 5, he says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done what is good will rise to live, and those who've done what is evil will rise to be condemned. All of us, good and bad, will be resurrected when Christ returns. And then what happens is Revelation chapter 20, it describes what happens next. John says this. He says, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So one day, you and I are going to stand before the throne of the judge of the universe, and books will open which have a record of everything that we have ever done, good or bad. And then a second book is going to be opened called The Book of Life, which records the names of everyone who has followed Jesus. Now, if you are following Jesus, if you have put your faith in him, you've been baptized, you are following him, then your name is written in that book. 
Your price has been paid and you're gonna get to spend eternity with Jesus on, on no credit of your own, no merit of your own, but based on the merit of Jesus Christ on your behalf. His blood covering you, his grace sufficient for your weakness. If you are in Jesus, your salvation is not at stake, you're in. But we will still face judgment. We will still face a final evaluation of how we have used what God has given us, whether or not we have wasted our life. Jesus says in Matthew 16, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. You and I are gonna stand before God one day to answer for whether or not we have done what he has called us to do. And God judges sin. But thankfully, there's also a second truth that we see here about God's heart in Jonah chapter three, and it's this. God saves sinners. Now, we see three main actions happening here in chapter three. Uh, we see Jonah preaches, the Ninevites repent, and God has compassion. Uh, verse 10 says this, when, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God saves sinners. He stands ready to absolutely shower us with his compassion when we turn to him. God does not delight in the death of anyone. Ezekiel 18 says, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Now, I have to say that, that I'm not always like that. Now, maybe you remember I do seeing the headlines announcing that the death of Osama bin Laden. And I just got to confess, my first reaction was, yes, got him. But I think according to scripture, God's gut reaction was grief over a life lost to wickedness and death. Because listen, God's mercy is far, far greater than mine. God judges sin and God saves sinners. So out of those two truths, here's our warning today. In our preaching classes in college, they told us that every sermon needed to have a dominant thought, a DT, they called it. It's this one sentence that you build the entire sermon around. It should be a short sentence, less than 14 words. It should be so clear and concise that if you shake me awake at 3 a.m. on Saturday night and ask me what my sermon's about, I should be able to just blurt out that sentence even while I'm groggy. Well, here's my DT for the day. You ready? Repent. That's it repent. God judges sin and God saves sinners. So repent. And, and actually that was the DT of Jesus's very first sermon. In Matthew chapter four, verse 17, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, a lot of people think of Jesus as this kind of traveling therapist who just goes around telling everybody not to feel so bad about themselves, but that's not at all what Jesus is. No, he says in Luke chapter 13, verse three, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now that word repent there that Jesus uses is similar to that word overthrown that Jonah uses. It means to change, to flip, to turn around, to go the other way. In fact, here in Jonah chapter three, I think we can learn three things about repentance today, but we're not gonna learn from Jonah. We're actually gonna learn from the king of Nineveh. First thing is this, repentance requires humility. Verse six, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. So repentance then means laying down your pride, stepping down off your throne, being humble enough to speak your sin. 
specifically to God and to another godly person in your life? Because listen, what you hide can't be healed. Repentance requires humility. Secondly, we see that repentance requires searching. Maybe you don't even know what the sins are in your life that you're supposed to be repenting of. Well, ask God to show you. He will. Ask someone that you trust to show you. They will. Ask your spouse to show you. Oh, they will. (laughs) The king tells the whole country here to call out to God. Listen, repentance is never something that we do alone. Repentance requires community. It's something that we do together, which is why it's so, so important that you're in a home group. Repentance requires searching. And thirdly, repentance requires action. The Ninevites here, they don't just feel bad for their sin. They do something about it. They do whatever it takes. They fast. They put on sackcloth. They make their animals fast and put on sackcloth. Can you imagine trying to put sackcloth on a bull? I mean, these guys are taking taking their sin seriously. They're tackling it. They're not going to tolerate it. Perhaps like uh, many people, maybe you enjoyed watching the last dance over the lockdown. And of course, the stories of Michael Jordan's competitiveness are just absolutely legendary. And I heard a story one time of a time when Michael Jordan went over to visit a friend. They were going to go out to dinner together and it was cool outside. So uh, Jordan asked if he could borrow a jacket. His friend said, sure, absolutely. There's a closet down at the end of the hall. Just go grab one out of there. That's fine. So Jordan goes down the hall and he's, he's down there for quite a while. Well, eventually he emerges and he's got a whole armful of clothes. He just brings them, drops them on the floor at his friend's feet, heads back down the hallway. Eventually he emerges with a whole nother armful of gear. I mean, clothes, jackets, shoes, you name it, drops it at his friend's feet. And, and, and you know, what's going on here? You see, down the hall at that closet, on one side of the closet, it was full of Puma gear. And on the other side of the closet was Jordan's Nike brand. And in Jordan's mind, this was absolutely unacceptable. Something radical had to be done. So Michael Jordan went to the kitchen, brought back a pair of kitchen scissors, and systematically, methodically destroyed every article of Puma clothing. When he was done, he carried it all out to the garage and came back in, and he said to his friend, tomorrow, call my rep at Nike, and we'll replace it all. But don't let me ever see you wearing anything but Nike ever again. Repentance requires action. So what will you do? Well, Your action step depends on where you stand with Jesus today. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, then Jonah is the catalyst for our repentance. We find our action step in him. Because we see Jonah, he does go to Nineveh, yes, but it's not out of love. Jonah does just about everything he can to keep these people from repenting. You see, Jonah is an example of what the people of God look like when they have lost the heart of God. And we as a church need to repent of our apathy toward reaching the lost. Now listen, I get it. It is easier to stay than to go. It is easier to avoid than embrace. It is easier to judge than to love. But the call to us is just every bit as clear as the call to Jonah. Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now it's easy to avoid this call and say, you know, well, that's, that's not for me to treat this call like it's something that's just for the spiritually elite or for the extroverts or for the people with a Bible college education. But listen, this is a call for every one of us who follow Jesus, for you and for me. And someday we will be held accountable as to whether or not we have obeyed. 
and the need is great. It's all around us. Let's actually, let's take a quick quiz real quick just to see how great the need is. Question number one. Indiana has one Christian church for every 10,000 people. To reach that ratio in New York City, how many churches need to be planted? Answer, 1,800. That's a lot of churches. Question number two. There are about 7,300 languages in the world. How many languages have no scripture translated? Answer, almost 4,000. By God's grace, we're sending out multiple people from PCC to be a part of that effort to translate the Bible for people groups who don't have them. Maybe God's calling you to be one of those people. Of the roughly 16,000 people groups in the world, how many are unreached with the gospel? Answer, 7,100. That's a lot of people. And question number four, how many people around the world die without Christ every minute? The answer, 72. It's more than one every second. Some of them live in your neighborhood. The call is for me and for you. The call is for us to go and the need is great. And I pray that God will call some of you into ministry, that God will call some of you into the mission field, but he has called all of us to bring his love and his truth to all of the people we come in contact with in our circles. And I hope you're praying for your one person from a few weeks ago when we as a church gave you the Bob challenge to pray for one person every day for six months to say, here am I, send me and see what God will do. Because listen, if God could use a half-hearted prophet and a bad sermon to save the entire city of Nineveh, what more could he do with a church full of people committed to praying, here am I, Lord, send me. Let's act out our repentance. Let's answer that call. But if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then your action step is different today. Your action step is found in Mark chapter one, verse 15, where Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. The action step for your repentance is to believe the good news. And the good news is simply this, that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life, that he died to take the penalty for your failures, that he rose again on the third day, that he is alive today. He's ruling as king of the universe and he is offering you the chance to put your faith in him, to be made new and to join his kingdom people. Back in Jonah chapter three, after the king of Nineveh humbles himself and searches himself and takes action, he says this in verse nine. He says, who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. He says, well, I guess repentance is our best shot. Who knows? We know. And the word he uses there for God is a really generic word. Basically, it means that he doesn't really know which God he's supposed to be repenting to, but we do. John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And when we believe, the action step for our repentance is found in Acts chapter two. Peter is preaching to some of the very same people who had killed Jesus. It says this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What's the action step of our repentance? Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen, if you've never put your faith in Jesus and made new in him in baptism, you can do it today. You can find forgiveness for your past and power for your present and a promise for your future. Jesus died for you to give you the kind of life he's calling you to live. 
We're having a baptism week just this upcoming week. You can always go to mypcc.info, tap on the baptism card. We would love to walk with you to discover new life in Jesus Christ. Because yes, God judges sin, but God saves sinners. So let that lead us all to repentance. Let's pray. God, you are just, you are holy, you are wise, you are the defender of your creation, which means that you judge sin and you are right to do so. And we are sinners, which means that if you judge us, you have every right to do that. We, we have earned that, we have chosen that. But God, you are also gracious and merciful and kind slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness from generation to generation, everlasting to everlasting. You are the same and you are God and you save sinners. And that's why we're here and we're so grateful. So Father, for those of us whom you have saved, that you have filled with your Holy Spirit and called to live in your kingdom, I pray that you put people in our path this week that we can, we can share this with, this good news, that you save sinners like us. And for those who are hearing my voice, Father, who have not yet come into your kingdom, I pray, Father, that they would repent and believe that they would be baptized and discover life through Jesus Christ. God, we love you and we're so thankful that we get to take communion every week as this tangible reminder of these truths, that we were worthy of judgment for our sin and yet you poured out the judgment on your son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be saved. Thank you. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.